All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you trusting and rejoicing that you are our Father through Jesus Christ and that you will answer as promised with as much readiness and more readiness than our earthly parents. And we trust that we may expect from your almighty power all things necessary for our body and our soul. Hear us pray to you, our Father. Hallowed be your name. Enable us rightly to know and reverence and magnify and praise you in all your works through which shine forth your power and wisdom, goodness and justice and mercy and truth. And likewise, help us to so order our whole life and thought, word, and work that your name may never be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. Your kingdom come. Lord, preserve and increase your church to include this congregation and the churches in Greenville and the churches in our country, the churches around the world. And so govern us by your word and spirit that we may submit ourselves unto you always more and more. Destroy the works of the devil. Destroy every power that exalts itself against you and destroy all wicked devices formed against your holy word until the coming of your kingdom where you shall be all in all. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that we and all people here in our country, the nations and the leaders of the world may renounce our own will and yield ourselves without gainsaying to your will, which alone is good that so everyone may fulfill their task and calling as willingly and truly as the angels do in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Be pleased to provide for all our bodily needs and for those down with suffering disease and illnesses. Lord, we pray for those who are ailing and aged, the poor and the penniless, and all in need, that we may thereby know that you are the only fountain of all good, and so place that trust alone in you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Be pleased for the sake of Christ to forgive our transgressions and evils. And as we find this witness of your grace in us, may our full purpose be to heartily forgive our neighbor. Lord, forgive them, forgive us, and give us renewed willingness to forgive and pursue reconciliation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand even for a moment while our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, our own flesh, assail us without ceasing, be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Spirit, that we may stand firm against them until we come off at the last complete victory. All this we ask of you, because as our King, who has power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all good. 
and thereby we long for your holy name to be glorified now into eternity. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you'll turn to John chapter 1, you heard on Sat- uh, Friday evening, no wait, Sat- Friday evening, Terry gave a summary of this first part of this, this chapter. We'll be looking at 14 to 18. But John 1 through 13, these two go together. 1 through 13, 14 to 18, they go together sort of as two holes it's two ha- or two halves that make up a whole. Right? In 1 through 13, if you remember, or 1, 1 through 13, you have this clear set of themes. The Word, which was both God and with God, that Word made everything. Creation. And that Word was the giver of life. That Word was light. And that Word shined in darkness. So we got creation, we got darkness, we got light. All of these Genesis 1 themes. And that light shined in the darkness to give light to everyone, but not everybody embraced the light, that folks rejecting it. But those who received and believed that word, they became children of God. They were granted the right to be called children of God. Well, in 14 through 18, John sets apart that word as this unique child, the son. And he highlights a different but related theme. We have light, and in here we have glory. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 14 to 18, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good Father, we pray that you would be kind and gracious and good, that you would speak to us by this word, that you would give to us Christ. We pray that by this word, through your spirit, that you would kill us and raise us up. That you would convict us and comfort us and shape us and form us into the people that you have made us to be. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, spirituality is a big topic out there. I don't know if you know this. 
or if you've watched any much of any documentaries, right? I don't know if many of you watch Gaia TV. Okay, obviously not, because you'd be laughing if you watched Gaia TV. Okay. But it is a big deal, spirituality, right now. I mean, it's a big deal where I work. I work in drug and alcohol, right? Addiction, rehab. There's lots of conversations that I have about spirituality there. But there are all sorts of accounts of what it is to be spiritual, what spirituality is. Right? From one angle, it's something more, this is the idea, it's something more than our physicality, something bigger than our senses. That, that's, that, that has some truth that brings to it. From another angle, it's something bigger than us. Trace and I have been, I don't want to equate this with spirituality, but Trace and I have been revisiting the X-Files. Right? Right? The truth is out there. I, mean, there's, I like it. There's something about that that appeals to me. This sort of, ooh, it's something that's just, just, just outside of our grasp. Now, in terms of spirituality, some call it this sort of an energy, or some would go so far as to call this reality some, some form of consciousness. Whatever it is, it's this seeking after, this grasping a greater reality. It's, I guess we could say, it's a pursuit of transcendence. Something that transcends. Now, I get this in one sense. I get what's being said. I mean, I think that you should too. There seems to be in this idea, this, what's being tried to, tried to communicate here, trying to get at a recognition of the fact that this greater reality is ineffable. It's too big for words. It's indescribable. We, we can kind of get on board with that. At the same time, though, many of these conversations I have about this right, will go into this direction, right? There's a denial that religion, any religion, can really capture this reality. A denial that we can say anything really definitive about divinity, about the divine nature. A lot of these conversations that I have, spirituality is wrapped in a mystery that can't be verbalized as much as it is experienced. It's something to be experienced. That's the mark. Once you try to verbalize it, it's like sort of pushing away, pushing off, and losing it. Now, again, we have to agree, our words do fail. God is incomprehensible. We, you are not going to get a grasp on God. You're not going to catch Him by the tail. 
You're not going to get God sewn up in a nice, neat, and put in your back pocket. That's not going to happen, right? We're finite. He's infinite. Okay? You get infinitude. Right? That's what should be going on. Right there. But wait, there's more going to happen here. Just wait. Just wait, you, me. Right? But that reality does not mean that God has not revealed himself. What a lot of these accounts of spirituality may miss, and I say may miss because I don't know some of I don't, I don't know every account of spirituality, but what a lot of them may miss is that the ineffable, the indescribable, has actually condescended to us. Condescended, come down to us. That is precisely what the celebration of the birth of Christ is about. The condescension of the ineffable the indescribable to us. What we'll see in John is his response to this is that God has revealed himself ultimately in the incarnation of his son. I want to unpack that real quick in three questions. How does God reveal? What does God reveal? And why does he reveal it this way? So, get ready. John 14, how does God reveal himself? John 14 starts with this. Oh, yeah. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word. Now, John has already used that term in 1-1, the Word. Why does he use that word? D.A. Carson does a great job. He says that this is an all-embracing term. He doesn't use any of the other terms, Son of David, right? Or any of those that he's going to use later on because this one sort of is big enough to hold all of those. This Word. Right? One way of saying is it is saying it is it's God's powerful self-expression throughout the Old Testament. God speaks and stuff happens. Right? Genesis 1. Boom, stuff happened just because he said it. You see this over and over again. God says what he's going to do, and he does it. In 1, 1, and 2, God's powerful self-expression is personal. The Word, in the beginning, the Word is with God, was God. That Word is God and at the same time with God. And then we get the nice pronoun here. He was in the beginning with God. God's powerful self-expression, the Word, is personal. It's a person. That Word is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and He became flesh. 
That should freak you out. That, my friends, is a mystery. That should blow your mind. That God condescended to take on flesh. Or as one writer says, God the Son voluntarily took into union with Himself a true human nature, that is, body and soul. And the Son didn't simply take on flesh, Lord, that is a one-time deal, like you sort of take the elevator down and then just wait for the elevator to go back up. That's not what Jesus did, right? He takes on flesh, the word takes on flesh to reside with humanity, to dwell with humanity. So that we could say this, though God revealed himself in the Old Testament, right, he spoke he took up residence in a tent and traveled with the people. It's different now. How does God reveal himself? The Word. God himself tabernacled in flesh with man as man. That's how he revealed himself. Or... as the Jesus Storybook Bible likes to put it. Right? I wish I could have gotten this, blown it up for you guys. And there in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows and the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used animals feeding, to, uh, excuse me, an animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then listen to this. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. God came to live with us. Let your mind wrap around that for a second. I've said this before, but, you know, we are saying some crazy stuff here. God came to live with us in flesh. That's how he revealed himself. What does he reveal? Look at the rest of verse 14. John, John says, We, or he and others, have seen his glory. Seen is an important word in John. You, if you just sort of read through. There are all these great themes. Every, th every theme in John 1, you start to come, it just starts to unfold and get elaborated on in the rest of his book. But seeing is really, really important. In fact, seeing is part of the problem. Lots of people don't see what John is saying. He and others have seen. Even though Jesus was right out there 
open, walking around, talking, doing stuff. They don't see what John has seen. What did John see? He says, we have seen his glory. He tells us a couple of things about the glory they saw in the enfleshed word. First of all, this wasn't any old glory. It was the glory as of the Son from the Father. This is the glory of the Father. The glory of God. That's what John is saying. It's the glory that only a son could have, or we could say it this way. It's the glory that only one who is from the Father, who's been with the Father, could possibly have. And we're not, just talk, we're not talking about you in your prayer closet spending time with God. Right? That's not the time, the being with the Father that we're talking We're talking about being with the Father. We'll come back to that. In just a second. But this is what John is saying that they've seen. That's the glory that we saw in the flesh. And the second thing that he points out here is that that glory was full of grace and truth. What does that mean, grace and truth? Well, commentators, they point to the fact that, and you may have already heard this, you should have already heard it, right? That Exodus kind of background noise. Really clearly, you hear it in John 1, 1 through 13, the creation language. Well, here, the Word becomes flesh and dwells. Y'all may have heard that tabernacle. We'll hit that again. But this is that Exodus background, and see this with with this in this passage. Recall Exodus 33, 18 to 23, and I'm just going to summarize it. Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. What does God say? I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm gonna, my goodness is going to pass before you. But he tells Moses, you can't see my face. No man will see and live, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, and then I'm going to cover you with my hand, and as I pass by, I'm going to move it, and you're going to see the backside of my glory. Point we see there is that there's a limitation. You can't see this. It's too much. And then in 34, 5 through 7, we actually see that passing by, and here's what he says. Here's what God said. God's going to He asked for, God, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. So now glory and goodness are connected. And then he does it. And here's what he does. Listen to this. Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What are grace and truth? We're picking it up from this passage here, that steadfast love, faithfulness, right? It seems that what John is doing is he's taking grace and truth and summarizing all that that meant in that little phrase, God's grace, right? God's goodness 
that He shows to us, not because of anything in us. That was true before the fall, right? There's nothing in us that would require that. It's perfectly voluntary, completely voluntary of God to even show, to share His goodness. But certainly now, in spite of us, He shows His goodness. That's grace. The truth, again, with Moses in the background, it might be best to understand this as that faithfulness, God's willingness and commitment to maintain that goodness to us. That's the content of that glory, the grace and truth of God. John says, we have seen the glory of God in the Son from the Father, and that glory is absolutely full of this grace and truth of God. And then, if you jump down to verse 16, John gives us the reason that he tells us he can say these things in verses 16 and 17. This is the link. If you notice in your Bibles, 15 has that sort of parenthetical statement around it, right? We'll come back to that. But really, so 14 and 16 are connected. But in 16 and 17, John's explaining, here's why I can say this. Here's why I can say that this is what we've seen, this glory that's full of grace and truth. He says, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Literally, it's grace instead of grace. John wants us to see that what he saw, that glory of Christ, he saw the fullness of grace, a greater grace, abundant grace, surpassing grace, or what Calvin called this unquenchable fountain of grace that just goes on and on and on and on. But John shows that this is a greater grace by comparing it to what's come. We've already seen that God showed up in Moses' day, showing goodness and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. You just read that. This is what he gives. Yet here, John says that nothing compared to Christ, that is nothing compared to the fullness, the overflowing nature of God's goodness in His Son. This is it. This is all of that goodness that was anticipated has come in the Word made flesh. That's what John the Baptist was saying about Jesus. We could kind of summarize it this way, right? Grace, truth, right? All that stuff. That's why go back to verse 15, right? John the Baptist John, John, the writer of the gospel, says John the Baptist, he bore witness about this word. John 1.23, John the Baptist says to those who asked him, look, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, that guy. The word become flesh, right? 
He, came, he was born after me, but guys, he was before me. Make no mistake. In 129, John the Baptist saw, he saw Jesus coming. Just out there in the market, and he saw Jesus coming, and he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, the writer of the gospel, is saying, In Christ we have seen the fullness of this grace of God revealed. Fullness of this faithfulness of God revealed. Last thing, why does God reveal His glory this way? Why does He do it this way? John concludes this whole thing with a statement that basically summarizes everything that we've been saying. It's all been coming down to this. Verse 18. He says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, and then I know that some of your versions may say, um, uh, uh, who is at the Father's side. Literally, it's in the bosom of the Father. Right? That's gonna, that sounds weird, but that you'll get that's kind of a, a nice touch, a necessary one. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God. Now here's the thing. The story of the Bible is that God intends for His creation, His people, to know Him. Would you agree with that? That's just a kind of a superficial reading of the story of Scripture. Sort of bears that out. That God wants creation, wants His people to know Him. So that no one having ever seen Him Okay, you can see how that's a problem. We're supposed to know Him, yet nobody has seen Him. We need to be able to see Him if we're going to know Him. There have been many episodes and events in which the powerful self-expression of God, His Word, has come through. But we need someone this is what John sort of is leading to. We need someone who has really seen him. We need that person so that he can be disclosed to us. What we need is a full, an ultimate disclosure of God. And that's what John gives us in the last sentence of verse 18. He says, the only God in the bosom of the Father. The word only, right? That word only ought to call your mind back to verse 14. Right? As of, excuse me, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. He's connecting that. Here, the only Son is God. He makes it explicit here. He brings the two together. And the only Son who is God is in the bosom of the Father. That bosom of the Father 
is an expression of intimacy and love. Later, John 6, 46, Jesus makes it clear. I'll just read it. In 6.46, Jesus, he says, well, just a little bit before that, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's what Jesus says. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is saying, and that's me. That's, that's why you listen to me, because I'm the only one who has seen the Father. So I'm the only one who can tell you about the Father. And because of that, John says he has made him known. Why did God reveal his glory this way? We need to see the glory of God. We must see the glory of God. It's what we were made for. But without the birth of this baby, Jesus, Emmanuel, without Him, we can't. Only in Jesus Christ do we know God. Only in Christ do we have the ultimate self-expression, the ultimate disclosure of God. So I'll ask you, do you see what John saw? Do you see the glory of God in Christ? You may say, well, Christ is not here now, walking around like he was then. True enough. But he is in heaven reigning as the God-man. And he is here by his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. He gives us eyes to see what John saw then. He gives us eyes to see now. This was the hope that drove Paul's preaching. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says he preached the gospel, and that gospel was the, it was the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what he preached. The image of God. Glory of Christ. And then he says in verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give, ready, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So I'll ask you again, do you see what John saw? Do you see the glory of God in Christ? Well, this is what John calls us to. Receive it. Believe it. 
That's true for all of us. Whether you sit here as one who has never trusted Christ, you've been sort of feeling around for the spiritual stuff, or whether you trust Him now, it's the same. Believe Him. Trust Him. Hold fast to Him. I'll end with this quote from John Owen. John Owen says, In in Him God was. In Him God dwelt. In Him is God known. In Him is God worshipped according to His own will. In Him, and this is what I love, is there a nearer approach made unto us by the divine nature than ever could enter in the heart of man to conceive? In Christ, God has come closer to us than we could ever have imagined He would come. And this baby who grew in stature, the person of Christ, and here's Owen, the wisdom, the power, the goodness, the love, the grace, the mercy, the holiness, and faithfulness of God are manifested to us. This is the blessed image of the invisible God, this Christ, wherein we may learn, contemplate, and adore all His divine perfections. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for our time. We thank You for Your condescension to us. We pray that You would grant to us by Your Spirit to apprehend this great mystery as a mystery. The Word made flesh. That this amazing grace that You have shown us in this condescension would overwhelm us and would drive us to You, to long for You, to glory in You. We thank You that you are here even now, speaking to us, revealing your Son, shining in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, um,